0: Hello welcome to the No Man's Land podcast. I'm Martin Rogers. I'm joined today by Councillor Steve Penfold, who uh, me and Steve have been mates for coming up for 10 odd years now, nearly. Um, but I've invited Steve on to talk about his experience as a councillor. So, Steve, welcome and please introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hi, my name is Stephen Penfold. I'm a local councillor in Lewisham. I represent Broccoli Ward. I'm a backbench councillor, although I'm chair of the Housing uh, Scrutiny Committee, which is kind of my expertise.
0: Brilliant, thanks. So firstly, why did you get into being a councillor? Um,
1: that's a good question. I mean, I've, I've been a solicitor for about 30, 40 years, and I've done a lot of housing work. And in, actually, I used to take the Lewisham Council to court quite often. And at the same time, I was quite getting more and more active in politics. And I thought it would be interesting to see how the other side works, how it's, how how it works from the other side. And I thought that would be quite good as a counsellor to have knowledge of what it's like to be on the outside, to be a, um, a homeless person or a person with disrepair in their home, you know what that's like, and then to be on the inside and sort of um, having that knowledge to percolate through. So that was one reason to do it. And I thought, I mean, part of the council's job is, I suppose, policy. And part of it is also casework. And I thought, well, the casework will be fairly straightforward because that's what I've done for the last 30 years. I suppose I thought I'd be OK at it. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm brilliant, but I thought I'd be pretty confident and I could maybe make a bit of a difference. And I think I've done that a bit.
0: And so for listeners who aren't familiar with the ins and outs of local government what do you do and crucially what don't you do so that's what do you do as a councillor for a particular ward a backbencher the involvement with the housing committee but also what councils do and don't do because people don't always necessarily know where Ugh. authority or responsibility begins and ends with the various different political bodies
1: i mean councils have a huge amount of responsibilities so they deal with social services they deal with housing they deal with street cleaning they deal with planning they deal with licensing they have a say uh, on schooling to some extent they have uh, a a, a relationship with the um, local hospital trust Um, so and social I think I say yes I mean probably the biggest thing is adult and children social services so there's a huge breadth of a responsibility. Um, and as a councillor, uh, you as a backbench councillor, so you represent an area. So I represent the area of Brockley, which is a fairly small but rather nice area in southeast London in the borough of Lewisham. So um, there are, I think, about 27 different wards over Lewisham, and they have um, either two or three councillors. And so your job as a ward councillor is to represent your constituents firstly. So if somebody has a problem, anything like from being homeless to not getting their bins emptied, that's, that's something that I can deal with um, to a greater or lesser extent. I mean, obviously, if they're actually on the street, you may refer them to a solicitor or, or something else. But, I mean, um, for, for most problems, you can make a difference. You can, you can represent and advocate on a person's behalf. So that's one part of it. I suppose the the other part is your work at the town hall. I mean, as a backbencher, the way it works in Lewisham is that we have a directly elected mayor. So we have a a cabinet system. So you have the mayor at the head, if you like, and you have cabinet members below him, responsible for things like housing, children and young people, sustainable development. And you have, broadly, you have different committees scrutinising The decisions that those cabinet members and the mayor makes and officers make and so i'm chair of the housing scrutiny committee so it's a sort of checks and balances so the cabinet members and the mayor makes policy and we scrutinize that both pre-decision and post-decision so i hope that's not too technical
0: no not at all and how much do you personally as a uh your backbench councillor and involvement in the committee how much do you get paid for all of this?
1: You get a, every councillor gets a basic allowance, which is about £10,000 a year. Um, and then on top of that, uh, a chair of a committee, such as myself, would get a further about £10,000. So I would get about £20,000, slightly less than that. I think it's about £19,000. Uh, a cabinet member gets their basic allowance. Every councillor gets a basic allowance of £10,000. A cabinet member, I think, gets about 25000 on top of that. So, in total, 35,000. And then the mayor and the deputy mayor get more than that. So, so, the deputy mayor gets, I think, sixty-five or 60,000. I'm not sure the exact figures. They're on the Lewisham website. So, it's not, I mean, it's not particularly well paid. You know, it's, it's I mean, I think there's a problem with councillors. It's seen as a bit of a Cinderella service. And I think it's interesting in Lewisham, and I don't know how this pans out across other local authorities that you either have counsellors that are my kind of age, so I'm 65, so I'm at the end of my career and I have the time and the money behind me to be able to do it, sort of, you know, not quite full time, but, but don't uh, give a lot of time to it. Or you have counsellors that are quite young, in their 20s, who haven't, you know, if you like, settled down or got a great deal of responsibility now, some of those councillors maybe think, well, actually, I want to do this because they see it as a stepping stone to being in a, an MP or something. But I think it's quite significant that you don't get, in Lewisham, you don't get many councillors in their 30s, 40s and 50s because it doesn't pay enough money and it's too time-consuming and they have a career. So So how, you get... Sorry, go
0: on. I was just going to say, I'll pick up on the, the time issue. How much time do you think it is? Because, so, I mean, the basic allowance of... 10 grand that is i assume effectively a salary it's not sort of ring fence for administrative costs or anything that's sort of questionable. no no you don't
1: get no i mean it is i mean it's called an allowance but yes i mean it is it's taxable like any like any wage so yes it's effectively a wage i mean how, how well i mean you could you could do it full time to be honest there's enough there to do full time i mean cabinet members are supposed to um give at least two days a week to it um i probably do that as a backbencher, at least that. I mean, things like casework you can do, you know, at one o'clock in the morning if you're so minded. Um, But obviously you've got meetings, you've got things to go to, you've got various things to do during the day, and you just have to fit all that around your working life.
0: So you reckon your sort of basic as as a backbench counsellor is two days a week? And you're getting I'd effectively...
1: to, I, well. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody. I would say I do two days a week. To it, yeah. Mm. I mean, you ask Jackie, my partner, she probably says a lot more than that. But mm. yeah, I mean, I think that's. I, i I mean, some people, younger people, work full time and are counsellors, and I don't know how they do it. They, they can't get any sleep, <laughs> and they're not ineffective. You know, they're just maybe if you're very disciplined with your time. Mm. Maybe I'm not
0: disciplined enough. I don't know. And so interesting. So it does sound like it's it's a real commitment of time for the for the money that you get. Yes. you think? Yes, and, I think it is. And how how much what do you feel about how well rewarded counselors are? Because and the reason I ask that is because there's controversy in some places about how much um the the staff, the, especially the senior leadership, you know, chief executive of councillors, get paid. Um, and what's your sort of reflection from your experience on comparing how hard councillors work and how much they get paid to how much the the staff of the council get paid? That could be within Lewisham, but it could also be sort of further afield as well.
1: I mean, I suppose the trouble with, with, with senior staff is you've got to pay a rate that you'll attract people. You know, and I suppose, I mean, obviously, senior staff, it it is partly vocational, but, you know, staff will leave if they're they're not paid enough in Lewisham and if something like Brent or Westminster or somewhere is offering more, they will probably leave. So in a way, you kind of have to compete with that. With councillors, I mean, it it is because it's on political lines, it's much more a calling. It's much more um, a vocational thing. You want to make a difference. It's not the same as being an officer. And I think that means that sometimes you get very good people being counsellors. Because if you, if you were to say to somebody, well, look, I want you to work two days a week doing quite you know complicated stuff sometimes, um, and I'm going to pay you £10,000 a year, you probably wouldn't get many takers. But if you're doing it as a politician, as somebody who believes in something, you will get takers. And some people are very good. Equally, you get people, some councillors who maybe are not so good, who perhaps wouldn't make it as an officer, but because there's not, because it's because of politics, they get through sometimes.
0: And so, what's been your experience? how long have you been a council? What I've been a council
1: for five years. So, I was first elected in two thousand eighteen, and I was re-elected in twenty twenty-two. I mean, my experience of the council now is that we actually have a very good competent group of councillors um in Lewisham we've got a lot of very good young people and you know some of the old 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 duffers like me aren't too bad either
0: and what's so what's the, what's the makeup of the council for people who don't know much about the uh the, the sort of politics of a uh, uh is it any is no, would it count there, there as there in a council a, in London a, in London
1: there are 54 councillors so they represent the whole of the borough of Lewisham so with a with an mp you, an mp represents a constituency a constituency uh, for councillors is broken down into wards which is a smaller area every ward should have about in lewisham should have about 11,000 voters so um, in lewisham deptford which the constituency is lewisham deptford so there are three constituencies in Lewisham itself, lewisham Deptford, Lewisham-East and Lewisham-West. And underneath that, you've got the councillors in wards. So in lewisham Deptford, you've got about uh, seven or eight wards. You've got Broccoli, you've got Lewisham-Central, Crofton Park, Ladywell, uh, Telegraph Hill. Uh, I can't remember now. Um, Blackheath is coming in. So they kind of marry up with, with, with the constituency. And um, so that's how it's broken down. And each ward has either three or two councillors. Most have three councillors. And that totals up to 54 councillors in all. And at the moment, they're all Labour in Lewisham, which okay. you know has, has its own unique flavour, I suppose. Um,
0: and is that a, a harmonious grouping where all people are all in the same party so they're all on the same side therefore agree on everything
1: no no i mean i mean obviously there is some criticism and i can understand that there's some criticism that it's a one-party state but that's what the voters decided upon so in a way you know it so it's not our fault i mean that's what people voted for that's what they've got i mean within that there are different shades of red and there are issues that are extremely contentious and debated. But what happens is that we have Labour group before we have council. So the rows that you would get in a council where it's a mixed council, you know, maybe partly Tory, partly Lib Dem, partly Labour, happen in Labour group. And a, and an agreed position is reached and then you're whipped at the council. So the real decisions in Lewisham really happen in the Labour group. Or, the you know, the the contrary positions are spelled out
0: and across the the years that you've been a, a councillor what has surprised you and especially that might be quite interesting because obviously you had experience before becoming a councillor of dealing with the council so what has sort of what have you learned that's like surprised you really
1: um that's a good question what what the council ca- Things going on in the council. I mean, I suppose. I mean, and I also, what per- hasn't surprised per- you? If there's yeah, anything I mean,
0: that
1: you, I, I suppose personally, I've had to change the way I think. Because as a lawyer, you're very reactive; you deal with what happens through the door. As a councillor, you have to be proactive. You have to be reactive the casework. You have to be. Pro- you have to think about how you want to do this. How you do you want to change this? Um, what What have I found? I suppose how large it is, and how many how many functions it has, I never quite appreciated, um, and how committed some officers are, and how very good some of the officers are, and how my, my theory always was uh, from the outside was when people will say, "Oh well, the council will do this because they don't like me or whatever," I always said, "No, it's not that. It's because they've made a mistake." and you know, the capacity for things to go wrong in any large organization is there, and that and that can happen. And I suppose well it doesn't surprise me, but you get good officers and bad I mean officers are really the, the local authority equivalent of civil servants. And as with any organizations, you get good ones and bad ones. So I, mean, I don't that really. I, I don't think anything's really surprised me beyond its scale. I mean, it's a lot. It's a heck of a learning curve when you're first elected. It's a bit like you know when when you started school and you didn't know where your locker was, you didn't know where all the lessons were, and you didn't know what on earth you were doing. For the first six months to a year, I was quite not lost, but it it was it was a learning curve. And my first term was a bit weird because halfway through you had COVID, so everything kind of went up the wall at that point.
0: And so probably the the final bit in this kind of section on um your experience as a councillor is what's it like with a mayor i suppose you don't have anything to compare it with but what reflection do you have on uh your experience with a mayor rather well, than uh, a leader in the other Yeah the
1: other I mean, sense? That's, that's a, i'm i'm generally not in favor of directly elected mayors because i think it it puts a lot of power in the hands of one person i mean i've only ever known as you say, I've only ever known a directly elected mayor, and I've only ever known Damien Egan, who's a directly elected mayor. I mean, I think Damien is very good. He he he's very good at delegating. So he, you know, he gives power to people. He doesn't keep it all to himself. And so the cabinet members, what in whatever role they're in, can get on with the job and do stuff and make change. But that's because of Damien's nature. And I think if it was some so. My experience in Lewshire, right it's a fairly good experience with a directly elected mayor, but that's because of the nature of the mayor that we have. And I still have concerns about how it could be with somebody different. So I'm generally not in favour, but you'd have to have a referendum in, in, in the borough to, to change it.
0: All right, so let's sort of, as a bridge to talking about sort of politics more generally, what, if anything, has your experience of local government uh, being in local government as an elected uh, elected councillor changed about your kind of politics, political opinions at all? Has it made you kind of strengthen any or change any become more sort of moderate, less moderate? how has it sort of changed you at all
1: I suppose oh, that's a good question. I mean I suppose I'm on the left, but I'm not hard left. Um, but somebody we, we both know once said to me that Steve's as far left as you can go without being an idiot, which I quite like. Um, but I think my experience would be, it's made me quite pragmatic. You have, to, you have to negotiate. There are so many different interests. You know, if you want to change something, you have to work with lots of people you have to you have to trim sometimes you, you know you can't just take an ideological position and hope to drive, just drive it through I mean there are you know obviously very important things and you try and hold on to them but in a way it is the art of the possible you know you you, you have to you have to negotiate because there's so many different stakeholders so I would say that um, I was probably aware of that anyway I didn't really hadn't had it really driven home I, th- I think that it is it is quite hard and also you know often you you may have one policy and then you realize that it affects 20 other policies and so it's quite it's quite um you have to really think things through you know for instance you know if you cut something how will that cut affect something else you know or how would how would a policy of um saying, we're going to make um, there be uh, no parking or CPZs in the whole of the borough. Well, sorry, what's the CPZ
0: for Sorry, for lift, on this
1: year? So everybody has to pay to park their car. Well, then that raises issues with people who maybe have somebody who's disabled or somebody who's elderly, doesn't have a lot of money, and uses their car to take to hospital or something can they afford that so on the one hand you say well that's a good thing the cpz because it will mean that there'll be less pollution and then on the other how does it affect a certain group of people so there's all these there is just so much to take into account when you're formulating policy it's it's never easy
0: you you brought up uh, a word there that i want to to explore before we go on to housing which is cuts so, can you tell us about the the state of local government, both within your experience, but also the kind of, I suppose, the the context, the situation that you came into as an elected official those years ago? Well, I mean,
1: it's yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty awful to be honest. Um, I mean, we've had more than sixty percent since two thousand and ten, since austerity, so called. Cool, um, it's we've lost over sixty percent of our central government funding. So, we've had to have year on year cuts um, and we've had to uh, raise council tax. So, in 2010, about a third of our income came from council tax, and now it's over 50%. So, we're having, you know, it's so people are having to pay that um, more than they would. Have. So, people are, you know, if you're an ordinary you know, man in the street, as it were, um, you're going to say, "Well, my council tax has gone up, but the, the council's cutting services, so I'm actually getting less for my money." And I can understand their disquiet of that or their, their, their annoyance. But that's where we are, you know. And it, obviously, we have certain statutory functions we have to maintain, and it means that you know anything that we can do that's the sort of jam on the bread gets cut back. So. Every year, we've had to make more cuts. And as somebody who came into this, you know, wanting to improve the life of people, particularly people who are at the bottom end of the scale, it's pretty disheartening, to be honest.
0: Where does a council get its money from? Is it just council tax or...? Uh,
1: Well, we still get some central funding. We still get central funding. We get some... um, um, Well, we get business rates. But the trouble is, you know, in Lewisham it's not it's you know in westminster something like westminster or kensington chelsea or even probably southwark is probably quite well off because they get quite a lot of you know big businesses in their boroughs you know lewisham's got you know a few nail bars in a kebab shop not quite but i mean it hasn't got the large businesses that um a lot of london boroughs have i remember having a conversation with a woman who was what um the manager of one of the um, housing providers uh, in the borough and she previously worked in Westminster. And she said, um, well, we're going to have a sort of open day for the residents. We want to get some sponsorship. You know, who, what businesses should I approach? And I said, well, you've got the hospital or the council. And they said, big businesses. I said, There are aren't.' And that's true. It's all small businesses. So our business rates are not, are not high. So we get, you know, that that again is is a problem,
0: and it, so it's essentially the luck of the draw. Whether
1: yeah, I mean, you're yeah, in so, Lewisham,
0: or whether you're in Kensington and Chelsea, or whether you're in yeah. Westminster or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm sure other boroughs with a similar, you know, I, I mean, I imagine someone like Tower Hamlets probably haven't got. Well, Tower Hamlets might have a few actually, because it's it's sort of a butster city, doesn't it? But I mean. Someone like Newham is probably similar, I would have thought, or
0: maybe Brent, I don't know. So one thing I think that's going to be really interesting for listeners is your work as the chair of the housing committee. So we've talked about the lack of businesses in Lewisham. The the population of Lewisham, like a lot of London boroughs, is 300-odd thousand. Yes. What comes across, what, what do you deal with as the chair of the housing committee? What are some of the... Let's start with the challenges that you face and that the borough faces and the people in the borough. And then maybe we can talk about the salute, come to the solutions, your solutions, possible solutions later on.
1: I suppose, I mean, the problems that we have as a borough, and I don't, I mean, we're not unique as a London borough with this, I think, is that we have far too many people on our housing waiting list than we have properties for. So we have 10,000 people on our waiting list, and we have new lets at the rate of about 1,000 a year. So if nobody was to join the housing waiting list as from today, it would still take us 10 years to house everybody. So uh, that's clearly not great. And the larger the family, the larger the property they need, the longer they are going to have to wait. There's that problem, there's a problem of, I mean, there's a problem of renting in London. And the lack of security, the um, level of rents. I mean, that that private renters is, is is a big thing. I mean, it's about we have about a third, I think, in the in the borough of private renters, and you know they're facing a really really difficult time. So that's an issue. I think there's an issue with social housing. There's an issue with repairs with social housing. Um, because I think a lot of housing associations, and they probably wouldn't admit to this, would say that focus on building rather than repairing because they probably get more money that way. And I've had a lot of casework where social housing providers just do not do repairs or it's a real battle to get them done. So repairs, private renters and housing waiting list they are three things.
0: What happens to the 10,000 people that you've got on your waiting list at the moment? Where are they? Are they in private rented houses? Are they in hotels, hostels? where all are all
1: over they? the place. I mean, some some of those will be in overcrowded accommodation. So you would be on the housing waiting list if you're, say, you're in a lotion flat and you got that flat 10 years ago and it was just you and your partner and you have one child. Now you've got three children and they're growing up so your house is overcrowded so they would be on the waiting list there's homeless people they will be housed sometimes in temporary flats sometimes in hostel accommodation and increasingly they're being housed out of the borough because we just don't have the the accommodation in the borough to house everybody so you've got people being housed in Dartford um, Gravesend you know places quite, quite a way out I mean, there is a policy on this about how you decide who should be housed where, but it causes a lot of difficulty and stress.
0: And what what is within the sort of current powers to to do about any of this? So can you just build more? Well, I mean, the, the,
1: the, 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 the answer is 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 to build, um, and I mean, we built. I think a thousand homes in the last administration, but it's it's very, it's difficult. So the difficulties with building is, well, the land. Luton doesn't actually have a great deal of land, compared to someone like Greenwich, which has the waterfront. That aside, um, you also have issues with um, increasing costs and in labour, labour costs and materials costs. So you know you're you're doing these projects and the, the prices are going up. So that that's a problem. And, although we can borrow now the, the cap was raised that we can borrow we can't build quickly enough and we don't have enough money I mean what you're what you're really seeing here is I suppose nearly 40, 40 years or just over 40 years of a lack of investment and a lack of foresight in social housing because the right to buy was introduced in the very late uh, 80, 81 and those receipts were not given to local government to build more houses. So they just went to central government. So we never got that money to build more. And of course, we are now in the absurd position of having to buy back local authority houses, which we've sold under the right to buy. It's madness.
0: And uh, for a lot more money than they sold for, I'm guessing.
1: And also, you know, so you, I mean, one of the things that needs to be ended in my view, um, Is the right to buy because I've got no problem with anybody owning their own home. That's absolutely fine, but they shouldn't do it off the back of a council house because once that's gone, it's gone for good. Or well, in this case, you unless you rebuy it. You know, you know. so and we just, you know, we just haven't we just haven't built enough over the years, and we, you know, it's like trying to turn around a big ship. You turn the wheel and nothing happens. You know it's going to take us ages, and we're not turning the wheel enough anyway.
0: So we're talking about housing, and is yeah. there anything more widely that you think? So you've you've talked about councils borrowing and the shortage of land. Is, is there anything else that you want to see done at a sort of local or national level to try and address the sort of housing issue? Are there any other steps do you want to take, think, or is it just I a mean, case? I think, of... I think I think I think
1: that. There are things that you could do in the private sector. Um, I mean, yeah, you need. well, before we go on to that, I mean, yes, you need more affordable housing bills. And that can be by councils. It can also be by um, housing associations. And there is an issue with housing associations building because I think they've done that a lot to the detriment of perhaps looking after the existing stock. Now, that may change because I don't know if you know, there's a, a building safety bill going through parliament at the moment and that's going to look at uh the safe, safety of um domestic social housing so as a result of grenfell and also uh because of the um the little boy that died up in um i think it was in, in Rochdale, Rochdale, uh, ahab um and no rotherham wasn't it um and so damp and mould are going to be a feature of that as well so i think a lot of housing associations are going to find they're going to have to spend more of their budget on repairs, which will have the downside of not being able to build so much. So that's going to be a problem. With private rented, I think you should get rid of um, Section 21, which is a way that is a no-fault end of the tenancy. So you know you can rent somebody for six months and say at the, the end of the ten at the end of that time, here's two months' notice you have to go. Uh, no matter how good a tenant they've been, and that you know means that um, there's a great deal of insecurity in the private sector, and also it means that local authorities have to pick up the slack because if they're evicted through no fault, then the local authority can't say, "Well, it's your fault; you've been evicted. We don't have to help you." The local authority have to house, which is fair enough under the law. I entirely accept that. But there should be more security in the private sector.
0: Is there any issue around not just building and stock and numbers? And we we do need to talk about where some of this will be built. Ooh. And we're going beyond your experience in Lewisham to to where Ooh. it will be built. And it's such an issue now about um sort of l- localism of well, just don't build here. So, yeah, we open that we need to build somewhere. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on tackling that. But also around kind of ownership, I suppose distribution, redistribution. Um, so it's beyond just building sort of numbers and stocks. So how would you, in your experience, both within the council and as a councillor and in your sort of career before that, what is and your own personal politics, what do you what solutions would you like to see looked at? enacted and some of these challenges kind of overcome.
1: Well I did not I'd end the right to buy so that houses would stay within the public sector. So there would be a supply of affordable housing. So I mean that and I can see that's you know perhaps an unpopular policy. It may be unpopular because people are ambitious and they want to do well for themselves and I entirely get that and I think that's fine. But then you know, you'd have to build houses both for people to rent and for people to buy. And there are other, other models, there's shared ownership and things like that, which can give people a leg up into the housing, into the housing market. So I think I would end the right to buy, I think, is a, is, a, is a major thing. I mean, obviously, there's an issue with land. There's an issue with, um, you know, do you build on the green belt? I mean, that's not an issue in London because we're not on the green belt, but that is a whole kettle of grasshoppers, really. Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't think. Um, I mean, what happens in Lewisham is they're building up quite a lot. All right.
0: Well, let's move on from from housing to um, local politics in Broccoli and South London. So, what are the sort of the issues? Obviously, we talked about housing, but any others that give a sort of a flavour to the local politics in the area? So, within Broccoli within Lewisham, within South London. What are the sort of battle lines? You talked about is a uh, completely Labour council, so obviously and you're a Labour council, you'll have sort of specific views on that. Um, yeah, I mean... So, sorry. yeah, tell us about some some of the sort of local politics uh, initially.
1: I mean, Lewisham's quite an interesting borough. I mean, you know, the joke is it's a Socialist Republic of Lewisham, but it's not that straightforward. I mean, in the south of the borough, so places like Downham and Grove Park, the opposition is mainly Conservative. So you would have, in a bad year, um, for Labour, you would likely lose seats to the Conservatives. In the north of the borough, generally, so where I am in Brockley, Crofton Park, Ladywell, Telegraph Hill, the opposition is the Greens. And, I mean, where I... Brockley is very... It's quite leafy, but it's also quite trendy lefty. There's a lot of artists and musicians. You get relatively few conservatives, but they're very hot on green issues. So they may perceive Labour as not being strong enough on green issues. And so there's they may vote differently in a council election to how they'll vote in a national election. Because you know, they would see that they've got no chance of getting a green government, so they would vote Labour. But in a local election, they may think, well, they've got a chance of getting some green councillors, so we'll vote green. So that's the main opposition. I mean, my own ward has become more middle class since 2022 because we had, in in the north of the the ward, we had a large housing estate, which has now gone over to a, a new ward called Deptford. So it is quite sort of trendy lefty middle class and so the issues the, the issues are are a lot of environmental issues a lot of planning issues
0: and have you got um, any insight into why beyond the sort of uh, artist and trendy lefty sort of element in the, the north of the borough why it is that you have this these different sort of oppositions in the different places
1: i think i mean i think Historically, Lewisham was quite a cheap borough to live in. It didn't have, until quite recently, it didn't have particularly good transport links. There's no underground. The DLR made a difference and the overground has made a difference. So a lot of artists and musicians came, could live cheaply in places like New Cross and Broccoli and Deptford. And so that built up a whole community. Uh, whereas in the south of the borough, it's more suburban and it's perhaps probably an older demographic and so it's a, it's a more traditional left and right split
0: all right so it sort of comes a uh, the little in, bit. then you've
1: got Blackheath, which is Paul. sort of labor liberal democrat so that's very wealthy so that that's again a, a, a whole different dynamic mm. so, so blackheath has its own sort of its own little micro political climate
0: and so going Beyond politics of the sort of the, the borough and Lewisham specifically in this case to London. So, what is your experience of the different types of Labour politics within London and sort of why there are these different issues? So, London is quite unique, or at least it's unusual that it is so strongly Labour, though I suppose it's not that different to the other sort of major cities. So, what's your it's experience bit... of?
1: It's a bit of a donut, though, isn't it? That it's red in the centre and blue on the on the outside. So inner London, with some exceptions, will be Labour. But when you get to places like Bromley, Kingston, Richmond, but well, maybe Le Dem, but Labour won't be so strong on the outskirts. And that's presumably down to the fact that either people are sort of like in Broccoli, that they tend to be quite naturally left because of their beliefs and because they're you know musicians or artists or whatever um or they they are not as well off as people in the on the, on the outskirts
0: it's quite and simple what, really and what about the the change in sort of labor politics or throughout the corbyn era what's some of your reflections on that both as a elected councillor and just as a someone who's obviously a labor councillor? so I
1: member. I, I was, yeah, I mean, Corbyn, mean, it was difficult. I actually thought some of the policies were quite good. I thought it was good to have a discussion. I thought it was good that he presented a very different um, vision to the one that Cameron and May and everyone was presenting at the time. Um, or well, May, really, not so much Cameron because he'd come by then, but... Um, and there's that thing called the Overton window, which is you know, where there's a sort of circle where things are seem to be perceived to be reasonable within. And I think that that window did move a bit to the left. I think the trouble with Corbyn was he wasn't good enough to do it. Um, and we've now gone back to a more quote normal Labour Party, where it is more centrist. than I, I mean. Unless you're extremely fortunate, I suppose, that the winds are, are going to be going in your direction, someone like Corbyn is probably never going to be elected because he's just too radical. I don't think this country is especially radical. I don't know if any country is, but I mean, I don't think that he would have got elected. I mean, quite apart from the, the hostility of the media. And so, as a political party, you have to appeal to the middle ground to a greater or lesser extent and I think that that's you know where we are now um, and let's hope you know that means that we get elected
0: you sound regretful about that
1: no I mean uh, I mean I was never sure um, I think I mean you know I the bottom line is, I'm a pragmatist. I would far rather be in government with Tony Blair than be in opposition with Jeremy Corbyn. I'm probably to the left of Blair. I'm probably not to the left of Corbyn. But you just need a Labour government. The only, thing, the only way you're going to do things, do good things for people, is with a Labour government. So that's what we need. I mean, I think some of the things of Corbyn, I mean, it did invigorate... A whole generation a lot of young people i didn't have a, a great problem with any of those people i think that they were then in it for the right reasons and some of those are unfortunately left but it has brought people into the movement that perhaps wouldn't otherwise have joined and as a, i mean if you look at lewisham council i mean some of the young people there i'm sure were inspired by corbyn i'm not saying they're corbynistas they are now but they are very bright and able people. So maybe he did have some effect, but, you know, it was never going to really end up in the Labour government with him in charge, I don't think.
0: So how this is to, to end, looking beyond Brockley, beyond Lewisham, beyond London even, how should, in your experience, Labour bridge the gap between appealing to the kind of people who vote in droves for uh, Labour councillors to the extent that Lewisham, as you say, is a sort of one-party state, and how does Labour therefore appeal more widely to the, the country as a whole? You talked about austerity, so how should Labour sort of respond to, to that as a way of tackling the challenges in within London, but finding that sort of centre ground in the country okay. as a whole? And tackle some of the challenges when sometimes they're going to be in opposition house building being one of the issues we talked mm. about
1: i think i think you have to be quite bold really i think you have i think there needs to be a new social contract i think so much is now broken the health service is broken social care is a huge issue uh, i think housing is a huge issue education is an issue and transportation is so I think we need to set out a new social contract with the British people, and that requires um, that to be funded. And you've also got to look at taxation. I think taxation needs to be reformed. You need a land value tax. Um, but I think I think you speak to most people. There's an appetite. People know that it's not right. People know that you know the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and people in the middle are, are no are worse off than they were. 15 years ago and I think we said you know we will have a new social contract we will have a properly funded NHS we will do something about social care I mean social care to me seems to be the big issue the number of people that are now having to put their parents into care homes having to pay for that successive governments have said they will deal with that issue and none of them have because it's such a thorny issue and I think that we need to have some kind of national care service. And I think, you know, obviously this got to be costed, but I think we need to be bold. And I think we need to take back into public ownership things that clearly haven't worked. The water board that hasn't worked. You know, look at the state of the rivers. Some privatizations have worked. Probably you, you put you wouldn't take back telecoms, but you would take back the railways. God, we, we, they've just had to effectively nationalize across Penn Island Express, because it's so rubbish. So I think there is an appetite there and I think we, we've got to be reasonably bold and say this is what we're going to do and cost it out and go for it.
0: And what other elements are there within this, the the new social con- contract that you want to see? So you talked about a properly funded NHS, you talked about a uh, social care service. What does, some of, what does this new social contract look like?
1: I haven't written it yet. <laughs> um it would be a renationalization of essential industries it would as i say have a national care service um star has already talked about a national bank uh i think i would end academization a big public house building career.
0: and how much of the sort of what you're proposing is from your experience on effectively the kind of the front line there's someone who deals with casework how much of it is stuff that you've kind of had long long term beliefs? so a lot of the people we've speak to in this program you know in this podcast oh, series are pollsters you know maybe have been an mp something like that but it's one of the reasons i wanted to speak to you is because it's very unusual for us to speak to anyone with experience that much at the cold face. so how much is you know do you point to things and go? I get so much casework on housing or homelessness or something like that, and that informs your desire for some of this change.
1: You get a lot of housing casework. And you get a lot of... I mean, so much of the system is broken. I mean, I can give you an example, some casework. Uh, A woman is um, renting a flat with her partner. Partner's on the tenancy agreement. Partner leaves, stops paying the rent. She's not on the tenancy agreement, and she can't afford to pay all the rent because she's working, but she's not working enough to pay all the rent. So she could claim universal credit to do that. Universal credit won't do that because they say she's not the tenant. Now, that's actually legally incorrect because there is a rule that says that if the tenant isn't paying and you're, you're entitled to be in the flat and they're not paying and for you to stay there, you have to pay the rent. You should get benefit. But the DWP don't know that, or they say they don't know that. The landlord brings possession proceedings. She uses, loses her house. She's now somebody who will presumably apply to the council for social housing. So just that that sort of just bureaucracy and inefficiency and lack of knowledge by the, instance, the DWP has meant that, you know, somebody she would have been quite happy to say that it was a nice flat. It wasn't that expensive. And it's just, yeah, it just drives you mad that you get this all the time or you just get, you know, repairs that just don't get done or they do get done and then they go wrong again straight away because they don't do them very well. It's all it's all broken, Martin.
0: i like to try to end things on a uh, positive positive, <laughs> sort of <laughs> optimistic note, but I don't think we've been able to do that this evening. But... Anyway, it's been fascinating. It's been really, really interesting and to talk about some areas that I think don't get the coverage that they deserve. So, Steve, thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Martin. I really enjoyed it. Thank
0: you. Ah, pleasure. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the No Man's Land podcast. and Goodbye.